We'll get there in a moment. Go to Psalm chapter 2 uh, first. Uh, someone recently asked me this, and um, it is 10.07 right now, so I'm, I'm going to maybe let someone, let the Sunday school teachers know. We're going to run up till about 5 till. Joe, do you want to do that? Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, Psalm chapter number 2, before we get into John chapter 3. You guys glad to be in church? Amen. It's good to have everybody here, and looks like people are slowly recovering, getting back to health, which is a blessing. Um, psalm chapter 2 is a prophetic psalm. The reason I'm uh, showing you this this morning is because uh, sometimes what people do is they read a prophetic psalm. Uh, otherwise, uh, we would call it a messianic psalm, meaning this, meaning that it's prophecy about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And um, the Bible does speak of, in Luke chapter number 1, uh, chapter 2 rather, it talks about the Lord's Christ. And the reason it does that is because uh, there are false Christs, there are false prophets and false anointed ones that would come in the name of Messiah that would not be the fulfillment of God's prophecy. Those would be false Christ or a, a false Messiah, if you will. Uh, look at Psalm chapter 2 and uh, look, if you would, at verse number 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves... And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his what? Anointed. anointed. Now, the New Testament word for anointed is Christ. All right. And uh, the title of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, proves the fact that he is, in fact, the anointed of God. All right. And so when it talks about uh, the anointed, keep in mind uh, a couple of things real quickly. That there were prophets, priests and kings. Those were all three offices in the Old Testament, where someone would, those three offices are, are three places where people would get anointed before they would fulfill their calling and what it was God had called them to do. For a prophet to prophesy, for a priest to serve uh, in the temple and to serve God's people, and, and of course, uh, for a king to serve the nation. And every one of those had an anointing on them. You'll read in the Old Testament, you guys might remember the story of David getting anointed by, uh, the, by the prophet uh, Samuel. All right, and so Samuel comes, and you know the story. Uh, 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 it looks like the older brother is the right one, and God says, don't look on the outward appearance. Uh, uh, God looks on the heart, right? And so uh, David is anointed there. And so what some people do is they go, well, Psalm chapter 2 is just talking about David. It's not actually talking about Jesus Christ. And so what I want to clarify with you is this. Um, there's a term that you might hear at church or anytime you're studying your Bible uh, under a Bible-believing preacher, and the term is this. It's called double application. All right. Let me give you a couple. Uh, let me give you one primary example for sake of time. Uh, get thee behind me. Satan. But who's he talking to? Peter. Peter. Is he talking to Satan or is he talking to Peter? The answer is yes. <laughs> right. The answer is he's talking to Peter, but he's talking to the devil inside of Peter. Uh, another example would be uh, over there in Ezekiel 28, where it talks about the king of Tyre. All right. Or uh, and, and in that place, he talks about the king of Tyre and he describes the king of Tyre as having been in the Garden of Eden. Well, guys, I got news for you. There's only three people that would have been in there. All right. You got Adam and Eve. We'll call them one. Right. You got God and then you got the devil. All right. And that's not written at Adam and Eve. And it's not written about God. It's written of the devil inside of the of the king, uh, king of Tyre. And so what we call that is double application. So if someone wanted to make the argument there's some application of David, I would be okay with that. The problem is you're missing the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that, that Jesus Christ is of the house 
and lineage of David, which is why in Luke he has to go to Bethlehem, right, or his parents have to go to Bethlehem, his earthly parents, to be taxed there because they are the house and lineage of David. All right, it says in the Old Testament that the promise that God makes, the, the Davidic promise, the promise with David, the covenant that God makes with David is that there would never be a, a, a lack of a man sitting on the throne of David. And so uh, when you run all the references through, it's pretty clear that when you look at David's lineage, uh, somewhere in there, it gets broken on one side of the family uh, through a man named Jeconiah. All right. And eventually it is fulfilled down the road through the prophecies that are foretold about Jesus Christ. But I want to give you some reasons why very, very quickly. This is not just about David. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number three, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Now, here's a question. Who is the us in verse 3? You know who the us is? In ver- you know who's talking right now? Uh, this is talking about the Lord. Look back at verse number 2. The rulers take counsel against the who? And the rulers are saying, let us cast away their cords. In other words, the, we, don't, we don't want God to reign over us. Does this make sense? So whoever we're going to be talking about is going to be connected with the person of the Lord. So it can't just be David. Look, if you would, at verse uh, number four. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The who? Shall have them in derision. Well, I remember in my Bible, somewhere toward the end of it. uh, Well, actually, not just the end of it. The end of the Old Testament, Joel chapter two, the Lord comes back and he destroys the United Nations and the armies that are gathered around Israel. You say, what is that? Well, it's the if you're a Bible believer, it's the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you read about that in Revelation 19. Look, if you would, at uh, verse number six. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. You say, well, that could just be David. Well, again, the problem with that is you're ignoring what it says in verse number three. All right. So the king is the Lord. It's not David. Uh, Look down, if you would, at uh, verse seven. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, thou art my capital S-O-N. Son, this day have I begotten thee. Now, let me, let me tell you something. Uh, David was already begotten when this was written. You understand that? This is a future event talking about someone that's going to be the begotten of God. And, and by the way, let me say this as well. For those that think that the, the newer Bibles just changed the these and the thous, uh, the Bible says that uh, uh, Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. Do you know what the new Bibles do? They take out the word begotten and they say he's the only son of God. There's a problem with that, guys. You know what the problem is? Look at John chapter 1, verse number 12. You can look at John 1, 12. You can look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. But look at John chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, Jesus Christ is not the only son of God. He's the only begotten son of God, meaning this. He was the only one that was supernaturally born on this earth without the seed of man because that which was conceived inside of Mary was of the Holy Ghost. So he was begotten of God. All right. Uh, Look at John 1 verse 12. What does it say there? But as many as received him to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name. Isn't that what you did when you got saved? So then you're a son of God. Look at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. And that's why in Psalm 2, you, you read about the fact that he is begotten in time. He was the eternal word of God prior to coming to this earth. 
But when he's begotten on this earth and he's born, then he's the only begotten son of God. That's when he takes that title on when he enters into humanity. All right. First uh, John chapter three. Look, if you would, at verse uh, number one, it says this. Behold, what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. He's not the only son of God. He's the only begotten son of God. Look back at Psalm chapter two, Psalm chapter two, and notice what it says here. Psalm chapter two. This cannot just be David. And I'm going to show you a couple more reasons why. Look, if you would, at verse number uh, eight. Uh, Ask of me and I shall give you the heathen for thine inheritance. Can I say David never experienced that in his lifetime? Not fully. Not fully. You know what that would mean? It would mean that David ruled over the entire world. David did not have that experience. But I know a man that's going to have that experience. All right, look, if you would, at verse uh, number nine. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Uh, Look at Daniel chapter number 2. Daniel chapter 2. Then we'll go to Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 12. Daniel chapter number 2. Daniel chapter 2. Look, if you would, at... uh, Oh, let's see here. Uh, Down... It's going to be down toward the end of the chapter. Uh, Oh, there you go. Uh, verse number 41. Now you say, what's going on here? Daniel, and you heard a great, a great Bible study a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night that Brother Tim brought about how God uh, foretold about Alexander the Great and his uh, uh, generals that, that took over that part of the world and their kingdom. Um, and so what you're reading about here is prophecy that Daniel gives about future kingdoms. Uh, and some of these kingdoms we haven't yet seen. Look, if you would, at verse 41. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes part of what? Didn't you just read about that? Dashing them in, in, in pieces uh, the, the, uh, like, uh, like pieces of clay over there in Psalm 2. And part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron. For as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, the, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Now, uh, all that, I, I, there's not enough time to unpack everything that's here, uh, but look down, if you would, at uh, verse number 45. Verse 45. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain, what are the next two words? All right, you say, what is that? That's someone that supernaturally comes down from heaven. You know what Jesus Christ is called in your Bible? The chief cornerstone. You know what he's called? He's called the rock in 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, the stone which the builders rejected, Matthew. And so you know what God does? God sends his son from up there without hands. In other words, a man did not make him. God did that. And he comes down, and what he does, he destroys the kingdoms on this earth, the ones that are going to be here as a result of the leadership of the Antichrist at the end of the Great Tribulation. Uh, Look what it says here in verse 45. It break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. Why? Because every kingdom will be succumbed, and every kingdom will be under the rulership of Jesus Christ someday. Under the Messiah of, of God, the, the chosen one, the Christ, the anointed of God. Uh, but it shall, be bra- uh, it, shall be, uh, it shall break in pieces and consume all his kingdoms, and it shall stand for how long? Forever. forever. Verse 45, it shall stand forever. All right, that was, I'm sorry, the end of verse 44, forgive me. Uh, and so the idea is this, guys. The idea is that what you're reading about, go to Revelation chapter 2. In Psalm 2, is not just about David's reign. It couldn't have been. David does not experience the things that are listed here. 
um, it's prophecy about somebody else, and the prophecy is fulfilled, and you get glimpses of that uh, during his first coming. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, and uh, look if you would at, oh, let's see here, verse number, where do I got it, where do I got it? Uh, well, you know what, we'll come back, look at Revelation 12, forgive me, I'll have to come back to that one, forgive me guys. Revelation 12, look if you would at verse number uh, 1, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, that woman is Israel, and the moon under her feet, that's the church, Song of Solomon, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars, that's the 12 tribes of Israel, and she being with a child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered, and there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. That's, the, uh, that's not the green dragon, folks. It's a different dragon, all right? Uh, not the one you smoke. That's the devil, the red dragon, all right? Having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child. Who's the child that she's going to deliver? Look at verse 5. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule what? With what? Psalm chapter 2 is not about David. Go back to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2 is about, about Jesus Christ. Uh, Psalm chapter 2. And someone that doesn't accept the authenticity or the authority of the New Testament may argue that. Uh, but, but here's the truth. Even from the text itself, you can tell that David did not accomplish all of this in his lifetime. So there is a Messiah. There's a chosen one that's, that's going to come for a if you believe the Bible, the second time to establish his kingdom on the earth. Uh, uh, let's see here, verse number eight, uh, 10. Uh, be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the who? Lord. Not David. Serve the Lord. You see why? He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49 prophesies that the lawgiver shall not depart out of Judah. The scepter, that's a kingly uh, device, the scepter shall not depart out of Judah. All right, uh, verse number uh, 12, kiss the what? Not David, lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. That would not be spoken of in regards to David. That would be a blasphemous statement if this was about David. You're blessed if you put your trust in the Lord, not a man. David himself, the author of the book of Psalms, tells you not to have confidence in man and not to have the fear of man, but rather to have the fear of God and trust him. So, in short, and there's other places we go to, but, but just to keep it as brief as possible, uh, you're going to read things in the book of Psalms that are prophetic in nature about the life, ministry, and coming of Jesus Christ. Let's go to John chapter number 3 now. John, that was called, that's like a drive-by shooting with Bible, okay? So we just went, through, just went through that real quick. John chapter 3 now. John chapter 3. And uh, let's pick it up in verse number 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is where? All right, so you know what Jesus Christ just said? He says, I'm here, but I'm there. And some people have a hard time with that. And so what they do is they change, uh, the, the, the modern Bibles change the language. And what they'll do is they'll take out that last statement, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And oftentimes the way that they do that, the way they go about it is they go, well, uh, the manuscripts that are the oldest and the best uh, don't have this in there. And if you've been around for a Wednesday night Bible study, I'm not going to rehash all of that, but those manuscripts were lost until the 14 and 1800s, which uh, kind of makes you wonder uh, what the body of Christ was doing for 14 to 1800 years without those manuscripts. You know what they were doing? They were getting along just fine without them. 
They were not the oldest and best. Uh, that's just an old lie repackaged. Um, and, and so look, if you would, at a couple of places, though, look at uh, Daniel chapter number seven. What I want to show you is this term, and I don't have time to go through all the references, but the, the term the son of man is oftentimes a reference to the prophets uh, that would uh, stand up and uh, speak the truth of God from the Old Testament. And sometimes it's not a reference to a prophet, but rather a reference uh, to the Messiah, uh, to Jesus Christ himself. Look at Daniel chapter 7 and verse number 13. Daniel 7 and verse number 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the what? Son of Man, capital S in your Bible. It's capital for a reason. Came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. All right, so... So here what you, what you have is you've got references in your Old Testament, some of which will be a reference to prophets that are called the Son of Man, and some which are a reference to the Lord himself. All right, let me show you another one. Look, if you would, at uh, Matthew chapter number 12. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Now, you know what's interesting? The term Son of Man does not show up one time in any of Paul's writings. Not one time. And the reason for that is it's, it's kind of a, it has a very Old Testament uh, Hebrew Jewish flavor to it, if you will, where when they said Son of Man, immediately those Jews that knew their Old Testament, they would know you're talking about one of two groups of people, either uh, the prophets that were oftentimes called the Son of Man or a reference to the person that would be the Messiah. Matthew 12, look if you would at verse number 40. For as Jonas was three days... And three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Who's that a reference to? Jesus Christ himself. All right. Uh, Look, if you would, at Ezekiel chapter 2. Go back to your Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter number 2. This one is a reference to a prophet, Ezekiel chapter number 2. The ones I've shown you so far are a reference to... Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed of God. Look at Ezekiel chapter 2. And look, if you would, at verse number 1. And he said unto me, who's writing this? Ezekiel, right? So Ezekiel says, he said unto me, that's Ezekiel, son of man. So someone is talking to Ezekiel and calls him the son of man. All right, it's a title. And the reason why it's capitalized is because it is a title. All right, Uh, sometimes it's the title to Jesus Christ, and sometimes it's the title of the prophets. But it was an office, it was a title given to those who would come in the name of God and prophesy and preach truth, all right? Again, in some cases, it's a reference to earthly prophets, and in some cases, directly to Jesus Christ. The reason I'm showing you that is because when Jesus talks to Nicodemus, go back to John 3, and he says to to Nicodemus what he does, Nicodemus would immediately understand that Jesus Christ is claiming to be that person, all right? Even though he's speaking about, about himself in the third person. Now, I'll be honest with you, unless you are God, when you talk about yourself in the third person, it's really weird and creepy. Okay, if you're God, you get a pass on that. Everyone else, if Steon came up to me and said, Steon does not like coffee, I'd be like, why are you talking like that? That's weird, all right? Uh, you don't like coffee, though, do you? We'll pray for him. There's still time. Amen. Uh, but, but look at John 3. Look, if you would, at verse 13. No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the who? Son of man, which is where? All right. Uh, you know what the Bible says in Proverbs? You don't have to go there. Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. 
You know what that tells us about God? It's, it's a, 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 a big word, and all it means is that God is everywhere at the same time. All right? You know what David says? You know what people say? They, they say this. They say, uh, going to hell is separation from God. That's a half-truth. That's a half-truth. You know what David says? Lo, if I ascend to the heights of the clouds, thou art there. If I, if I go down the depths of hell and make my bed in hell, lo, thou art there. So you cannot escape from the presence of God in this universe. When a person goes to hell, they're separated from the love of God, absolutely, but not from the presence of God, all right? Uh, you say, what is that? What is the big word? Omnipresent. That basically means this. God is everywhere. Omni means all, like omnipotent, potent, meaning powerful, omnipotent, all-powerful, uh, uh, omniscient, science, shint, S-C-I-E-N-T, right? knowledge, all-knowing. So God is everywhere at once. Uh, if, if you believe in the God of the Bible, you don't have a problem with that. And if you believe that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Son of God, there's no, pro- there's no, there's no uh, 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 contention, there's no argument. It's not until which time you allow doubt, yea, hath God said, the instrument of the devil, to get you to doubt what God says, that you'd even question this verse. When it says the Son of Man which is in heaven, it's a reference to the fact that Jesus Christ is claiming to be the Son of God, the sent one, the Messiah, the anointed of God, who is there and here all at the same time. All right? That's, that's an attribute of God himself. But, but here's what people do. They say, well, the oldest and best manuscripts don't have it. Well, let me just give you a... The, the, make, you know what they'd make you think? That there's no reason why it should be in your Bible. All right? Epiphanius of Constantia from the 5th century quoted it. It's in the Bahiric uh, text. It's in the Syriac text in C, and, and, and it's also in the, uh, the LATT, which is basically a consortium of all the Latin texts that coincide with the Greek text that were given. It's in the majority text. You say, what does that mean? The majority of manuscripts agree with the fact that it should be in there. So why would somebody in the 1900s or the 2000s go, we don't believe that it should be in there. Someone added it. No, no, no. Someone didn't add it. You guys took it out. It was there to begin with. And I've got more. more. Brother Craig came up to me and goes, what does Poseidon have to do with Bible study? (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, It's Greek manuscripts is all it is, basically pointing the fact, Greek and Syriac and Latin manuscripts, point the fact that that, that that verse in your King James Bible is exactly as it should be. Amen. The Son of Man which is in heaven. I know we looked at this last week, but I want to look at it one more time. Uh, brother, if you go to the next slide for me, if you would. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter 2. I know we saw this last week, but let me ask you a question. Where are you seated right now? In Aurora. Someone says Aurora. Some of you are like, I don't know, man. Some of you have been visiting the Green Dragon too often. Where am I? Where are any of us? It's just the Matrix, man. We're all, we're all just kind of like players in the game, man. Uh, look at, uh, 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 where did I tell you to go? Ephesians chapter 2. Sorry, I shouldn't have joked about that. That's what happens when you do that. Ephesians 2, look if you would at verse number 6. Are you saved this morning? Amen. All right, so you're in the body of Christ, right? So you're seated physically right now here at New Heights Baptist Church. Uh, but uh, spiritually speaking, you're somewhere else. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, and look, if you would, at verse number 5. Even when we were, past tense, dead in sins, hath quickened us together. That means he brought us to life together with who? By grace you're saved. 
In other words, the, the life that you have is in Christ. It is with Christ. The Bible says in Colossians, your life is, is hidden with God in Christ. All right. So look at verse number uh, uh, six. And hath raised us up together. Is that present tense? Yeah, that's not a trick question. It, it doesn't say he shall raise us up. It's hath raised us up together. Really, it's past tense because it's already been done. He hath raised us up together and made us sit together, present tense, in what? So you're here, but you're there. Now, let me ask you a question. If you can do that, can't Jesus do that? So there's no problem with John. Go back to John chapter 3. There's no problem with the text. Don't change it. And don't let somebody else mess with it and make it say something that it doesn't say. All right. When you read things like that or you know things are changed or tampered with in modern Bibles like that, you should question, how does that make it easier to read? Because that's the argument. That's how they sell them. We're going to make it easier for you to read. Okay, well, how does it make it? Oh, because that's too hard to understand. Guys, let me tell you something. Some of you right now have a problem with our public schools dumbing down uh, uh, test scores and things like that so that it's easier for everyone to pass instead of saying some kids are going to pass, some kids are going to fail. Some of you have a problem with that, and yet that's what they're doing with modern Bibles. You're too dumb to, to understand, so we're going to make it so you can understand. It's too hard for you to understand that God could be there and here at the same time, so we're going to change it. I don't. Please leave it alone. I like, I like the Bible the way it is. And, and I like knowing that Jesus Christ is, in fact, God manifest in the flesh, that he could be there and here at the same time. Amen? Uh, look at verse number 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. But if you go to the next slide, let me, uh, anybody ever seen this symbol? I, I, I read somewhere that someone said, well, that came from uh, Greek, uh, uh, Greek mythology, and they, they attribute it to something completely different than where it actually comes from. Uh, the Greeks that they're talking about, you know where that takes place? Somewhere around uh, 300 B.C. I got a story that's about 1500 B.C. that precedes that way before that ever took place. And I don't have time to read it all right now, but over there in Numbers 24, uh, they're bit by fiery serpents because of the judgment of God. And, and you know what the Lord tells them to do? It's a crazy story. And honestly, if you lived back then, you'd be like, I don't get it. What is this all about? Okay, let's say you got bit by a snake. And all of a sudden, the man that's leading you out of Egypt in the promised land, he's like, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take uh, brass, and we're going to take a serpent, and we're going to wrap it around in, a, in, a, in a, uh, kind of like a statue of brass, and we're going to hold, hold it up and hoist it up. And if you've been bit and you're sick and you're dying, look at that, that brass serpent, and you'll be healed. I'd be like, that makes absolutely no sense at all. <laughs> you got a pill? You got something I could put in my body? I mean, I, that makes no sense. And if you live back then, you'd probably question it. But what they were told to do was to look. We have a song in the hymnal, uh, look and live, my brother live, look to Jesus now and live. It's recorded in his word, hallelujah, that you only have to look and live. You say, where does that come from? John chapter 3, verse 14. And it's a reference to something that takes place 1,500 years before Christ. And so Jesus references this with Nicodemus because he knows that Nicodemus is of the Pharisees and Nicodemus would know the Old Testament. And so if Nicodemus knows the Old Testament, he would remember the story of Numbers where the, the people of God were told after they had been bitten by something that was the result of their own doing. It's a picture of sin in your life. That you'd have to look at something higher than yourself in order to be delivered from that problem. In order to receive healing. Are you seeing the picture yet? And so Jesus says uh, uh, about himself in verse 14... As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so 
Must the Son of Man be lifted up? You know what's interesting about that? Uh, Jesus Christ is taken outside the city. Do you know what they would do outside the city? That's where they would throw all the, all the garbage away. That's where they would throw all the accursed things out. You would go, what they would say is, without the camp. You would leave the camp of Israel, and you would dispose of the garbage out there. Do you know what Jesus Christ became for you? He became that. He became that. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is what we call the doctrine of imputation, the doctrine of substitution. You say, what does that mean? Well, my sins were laid on Jesus Christ. And his righteousness was put on me. That is a blessing. And I could not earn it. I could not make it happen on my own. I had to look to Jesus Christ in order to get that. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look, if you would, at verse number 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Imagine a man becoming, I'm, I, I'm not speaking blasphemously when I say this, becoming lust and envy and murder and rape and, 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 and genocide and all of the evil and the wicked and pride and contempt for others and hatred and all the ugly and all the evil that is us in our fallen nature without God. Imagine one man becoming all of that. That's what Jesus Christ did for you. And so just like the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness outside of the camp, Jesus Christ was lifted up on a cross. Look at Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter 3. You know what I know about serpents? They have a curse on them. Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter number 3. And that's why generally speaking, women, you women don't like snakes. Can I get a hallelujah, ladies? All right. Now, don't don't be the lady that comes up to me at church. Oh, I love snakes. I'll pray for you. All right. Uh, Genesis chapter three. Look, if you would, at verse number 18. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse number. Uh, no, go back. Uh, verse 15. We'll start. Uh, no, verse four. I'm sorry, guys. Forgive me. We're going to get there eventually. Verse 14. And the Lord God sent on the serpent because thou hast done this. Thou art what? Look at Galatians chapter number three. Galatians chapter 3. So you know what the picture is? The picture is that Jesus Christ became a curse for us. Uh, Galatians chapter number 3. You know, after you get saved, you better not walk around with your, your chest puffed out thinking how great you are. Because the only reason you... Uh, any, any good in us, guys? People ask me all the time, you know, well, you got this going for you, this going for you. Uh, I've had people in business ask me, like, what... Uh, what do you think is the most important thing that's uh, contributed to making you who you are? You know what they want to hear? Getting up at 5 a.m., discipline, you know, the grind. I will hustle. You know what it is? It's Jesus Christ. Amen. Look at Galatians 3. Look, if you would, at verse number uh, 12. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a what? A curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So what you've got is you've got a, a pole with the serpent wrapped around it. And when Jesus Christ is hanging on that pole, so to speak, you know what happens? He says to the Father, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's from the book of Psalms. 
That's not just David speaking, that's Jesus Christ. My God, my God, why does he say that? Because Jesus Christ became everything that's wrong with you and me in that moment. You know why he prays the way he does in the garden? If there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. You know why he prays that? He's not afraid of man. I don't think it's just a matter of they're going to rip my beard out, they're going to you know, whip me and beat me. I think that, honestly, and I'm not making light of the suffering, but I think that was light compared to the pain that would be experienced from the separation from the Godhead. That which was eternally bound together, that, that, that same person that said, let us make man in our image. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and without him was not anything made that was made and the word spoke and there was light and, 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 and there's God working in unity and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and there was life and, and God working in unity from eternity past up till that moment and in that moment that's broken up because Jesus Christ became everything that's wrong with you and me. You say, what is that? That's great love. That, that has, guys, I'm sorry, that love story is far superior over anything that Muhammad said in the Quran, over anything that Buddha says, over anything Confucius said. It is far beyond any of that. And it's why it's an international message that transcends politics and, 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 and race and gender and all of that. You say, why? Because it's a message that everyone needs. It's a message of redemption. And Jesus Christ is speaking to Nicodemus. He tells him, look, uh, just like Moses lifted up the serpent, the Son of Man will be lifted up. And I, I've got to think in my mind that Nicodemus is probably sitting there going, I know the serpent story, but how does that relate to you? Aren't you glad that you know the end of the story? Amen. It is a blessing. Look, if you would, at John chapter 3. Brother, go to the next slide. If you would, John chapter 3 and uh, verse number 15. John chapter 3, verse number 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not, what? That's, that's really good. But have eternal life, verse 16. And by the way, have you ever considered that if it wasn't for a man that was afraid to come to Jesus during the daytime, and that man, as, listen, listen to me real quickly, we, get, we lose this sometimes. There are some people that are weaker in the faith, and they don't make it as far as others. You know where Nicodemus is at right now? He's not one of the 12. He's not one of the 500. He's on the outside looking in. But he's got enough faith to go, I need to talk to Jesus Christ. Yeah, but he came to Jesus by night because he's ashamed of him. He's a secret disciple. Yeah, but don't, don't forget, he at least went to the Lord. I was talking with somebody before church, and I could tell they're going through something. And, and you know what I just said to him? At least you're here. You showed up. <laughs> That's half the battle, is it not? And Nicodemus is talking to the Lord. And if it wasn't for this man, Nicodemus, asking these questions and, and wrestling with the concept of the new birth and Jesus explaining all this to him, you would not have John 3.16 in your Bible. How amazing of a thought is that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not what? But have everlasting life. Uh, let me just say, and I'm not picking on any groups, uh, I, it's just a, 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 for you to understand doctrinally, there are some people that have a hard time with the idea of eternal damnation. And let me be honest with you, I don't like it. Like, like eternal bliss, oh, that sounds great. I like that a lot. The idea of someone suffering for eternity, that's hard. But can I say this? I don't, I'm not God. You're not God. You didn't write the book. I didn't write the book. Our job is to believe what God said. And, and let me just say this much, if the crime that you commit is against an eternal person, then the punishment has to match the crime. Are you with me? 
And so, you know what? If God dies, there's no more hell. God, I got news for you. God's not going to die. All right? So this word perish, sometimes, Jehovah's Witnesses are a great example of this. They believe that when you die, you go to the grave, and that's it. There is nothing after that. You go to the grave. And where they, t- they tend to hang their hat is in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, guys, let me tell you something right now. If you want to learn New Testament or eternal uh, doctrine about eternity, uh, you don't go to Ecclesiastes. All right? You want to learn about the doctrine of eternity, you go to, you go to the uh, places where God speaks about eternity. You know what God is speaking about through Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes? The, th- the theme is found over and over and over and over with these words, under the sun. Under the sun, under the sun. You know what that means? It means life under the sun. It means if there is nothing after this, this is how it feels. You know what he says? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You know what that guy did? That guy had the lifestyle of a thousand Hollywood people wrapped up into one. He had, a, he had 300 wives, God help that man, and 700 concubines, a thousand total. I mean, how do you remember all the anniversaries and the mothers-in-law and everything else, right? And, and I mean, just, I, honestly, some of you are like, oh, that'd be great. You're out of your stinking mind. Right. One is enough. Right. Amen, gentlemen. That's what you see me say, amen, amen, <laughs> amen. All right? But here's a guy that has, and I know, I'll be careful I say this, but he has all the physical relationships he can have. He's got all the money he can have. He's got all the power he can have. He's got all the fame he can have. And you know what he says at the end of his life? All is vanity. Because yeah. if this is all there is to it, I can't get no satisfaction. I try and I try and I try. And a lot of those people take their life through drugs and guns and everything else. You say, why? Because they've tried everything. And if there's nothing else out there, then what's the point of keep living? If you've experienced it all or you think you have, and we've got 15-year-olds in today's society that have seen and done and experienced things that people that lived to be 80 years old 100 years ago would never have known about. So you're living in a very fast society where people go, I've done it all. What else is there? And if there is no eternity, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Buddy, if I didn't think there was a God or a judgment or accountability to an eternal being, you think I'd be living the way I'm living? Oh, no, it's because you're a good person. <laughs> Whatever. The reality is, you know if there was no, no holes barred, there's no God, there's no eternity, there's no nothing after this, you would live a very different lifestyle. And that's why some people do, because that's what they're convinced of. So you know what Solomon says? Under the sun. In other words, with no light of eternity. Okay, so you're going to go to Ecclesiastes to learn about what happens after death when Solomon clearly says, this is about life down here? Listen, the Bible talks about you having a soul. Over in Genesis 35, I believe it is, where Rachel uh, is dying, giving birth to uh, Benjamin. Initially, his name is Benoni. But the Bible says there in Genesis, as her soul is departing. Well, where's her soul going if it's just supposed to go to the grave, you dummy? If the grave is all there is to it, then their soul needs to come back, soul. We're going down here. I mean, what, what is that all about? All right, so, so clearly that's not what, per- perishing is not just in reference to the physical. Now, the Bible does use that word at times in reference to the physical. Look at uh, Luke chapter 15, Luke 15. This is called rightly dividing your Bible and acknowledging that some words can be used a certain way according to God's internal dictionary. It's called checking the references for yourself. Um, and they can be used a certain way in one place and a certain way in another. So the word perish can have to do with the physical life. There's no argument about that. But it is not exclusively used that way 
all throughout your Bible. That's where the argument's at. The word perish sometimes has to do with the eternal you, your everlasting soul that God put in you that is, that is meant to be in fellowship with Him. Look at Luke chapter 15 in verse number uh, 17. Luke 15, verse 17. This is the prodigal son. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I what? That's physical, clearly. His perishing is with hunger, all right? Uh, There's very few of us this morning that are perishing with hunger, amen? Amen. We're Baptists. We like to eat, all right? Uh, Look at Esther chapter number four. Go to your Old Testament, Esther chapter number four. Esther is going to go before the king, and she's not been called. And the rule from the... uh, uh, the king at that time is, is if you go before the king's throne, uh, King Ahasuerus, um, and uh, this is the, the, the Babylonian kingdom became the Persian kingdom, became the Medes and Persian kingdom. Um, Esther chapter 4, right before Job, all right? Esther chapter 4, and look what Esther says here about her life when she's going to go before the king even though she hasn't been called. The rule went like this. If the king has not called you into his presence and you show up unannounced, it could literally be off with your head. I mean, you know what you're doing when you're going in there to go to see the king unannounced? You know what you're doing? You're praying. And you're hoping that he's in a good mood. <laughs> um, I'm just glad that we don't have that power today. Amen. <laughs> we make a mess of things. Look at Esther 4 and look, if you would, at verse number 16. Go gather together all the Jews who are present in Shushan. That's the palace. And fast ye for me. That's a four-letter F word for Baptist. That means you don't eat for a certain period of time. Amen and amen. And neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I, I what? That's her physical life. There's no doubt about it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Sure, sometimes the word is used to talk about your physical life. Again, no argument there. The argument would be, does the word perish? Oh, I had a, someone not that long ago say, I have a problem with an eternal hell. I said, great, me too. <laughs> I, did. I did. I was like, I don't like it. Well, I mean, I don't, it's not just I don't like it. I don't believe it. I said, well, why? Because I can't believe blah, 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 blah. I said, okay, that's fine. I said, but your entire concept about everything you just said came from outside the Bible. So if you're sticking to a, uh, something that, that comes from the Bible, you might want to stick with the Bible's definition of that thing within it. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man, that's the physical body, the outward man what? You know, from the moment you're born, you're slowly dying. And uh, you may not feel like it when you're a teenager, but I promise you, I promise you, when you hit 40 and the bones are rattling and you get up and you're like, man, I'm tired. I haven't done anything yet. Amen? Right? Uh, you're going to know the outward man is perishing. Uh, and then he says this at the end of the verse, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So it's a contrast between the eternal you and the physical you. So there's no doubt that the word perish sometimes is used in reference to the physical body. However, it's not exclusively used that way. Look at Romans chapter number 2. Romans chapter number 2. Romans chapter 2, and look, if you would, at verse number 12. For as many as have sinned without law shall also, what? That's a redundant statement if it's talking about your physical life. Everyone perishes physically. 
this is not about your physical life. And you can read that from the context and from the statement itself. It would be completely redundant if he's just talking about you dying. All right? Uh, you say, what is he talking about? The fact that if, if you die without a payment for your sins, whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, whether you're someone that had knowledge of the Old Testament law, which is all the Bible they had back then, or you're, so, or you're someone that was on the outside as a Gentile that didn't know anything from the Old Testament, if you die outside of the righteousness of God, then guess what? You perish. That means you go to a place called hell. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If, this is a re- if the word perish is only a reference to people dying, this verse makes absolutely no sense. Look at verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. Let, let's read it the way that Jehovah's Witnesses want you to read this. For the preaching of the cross is to them that die and go to the grave foolishness. Well, guess what? That's everybody. Everyone dies and everyone goes to the grave. So that's not what that's talking about. Them that perish is those that are lost without Jesus Christ. Unbelievers who are outside the body of Christ, when they hear the preaching of the cross, with the Holy, if the Holy Spirit is not actively working in their life, they're going to look at someone preaching going, that's stupid. And you know what I would say to that? Amen. Call me a fool. That's fine. But, but, but notice, it's, to them that perish, it is foolishness. But unto us which are what? So there's the contrast. Those that perish and those that are saved. You guys see that? All right, so that's an eternal thing. You are saved for eternity, amen? Yeah. Right, you have everlasting life. So the, the contrast to that would be everlasting death. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter number 3. Enter your Bible. 2 Peter chapter 3. And look, if you would, at verse number 9. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. In other words, God's not, uh, he doesn't take his promises lightly. He doesn't, men, when they make a deal with you, they might break their word. Yeah. All right? The Lord is not slack, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should what? But that all should come to what? Okay, well, let me ask you this. If, if perishing just refers to the physical body, then let me ask you this question. Does that mean that God doesn't want anyone to die? Everyone's been dying since Adam sinned. You understand that? This is not what this is talking about. This is an eternal statement. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You say, why would he not want them to perish? Well, look at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. If hell was temporary, this would not matter. Hell's not temporary. Uh if you want to be real technical, you can make the argument that hell is temporary in the sense that it eventually gets poured into the lake of fire, Revelation chapter 20, but it's eternal. Uh, look at Matthew 25. And by the way, I don't rejoice in making that statement. That does not bring me joy. I don't like that idea. Um, I, I really don't, but I believe what God says about it. Yeah. Matthew 25, look if you would at verse number, That's why your neighbors that you don't like and they, they rub you the wrong way and they annoy you. They still need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And your co-workers and your family members and all the rest of them, except uh, you repent, Jesus says, you shall all likewise perish. Matthew 25, look at verse 41. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into temporary fire. All right. Does it say fire for a period of time? What does it say? 
What does it say? Louder. Everlasting. everlasting. All right. Now, you know what that means? It's everlasting. All right. Look, if you would, at uh, Matthew 23, go back a little bit. Matthew 23, verse 33. When it says that whosoever believed on him should not perish, but have everlasting life, the contrast in that statement itself should give you a clue that the life, because the life is described as everlasting, the perishing would be everlasting. Uh, look at Matthew 23, verse 33. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the what? Damnation of hell. I didn't, I didn't say that. You know who said that? I love it when people send me letters or leave me voicemails saying, you should be more like Jesus. And it's like, are you sure about that? Because what I want to do is respond and call you a generation of vipers and tell you how can you escape the damnation of hell. He did that. I didn't. Be more like Jesus. I don't think they always really know what they're saying when they ask you to be more like Jesus. Look at Revelation chapter 14. You know why Jesus Christ talked about hell, though? All joking aside, you know why? He didn't want people to go there. Do you know why he became sin for us? Because he didn't want people to go there. You know why he doesn't want people to perish? Because he knows it's everlasting. Look at Revelation chapter 14, and look, if you would, at verse number 10. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Remember how I told you earlier, you don't escape the presence of God, even in hell? I'm, that's, that's another verse that proves it. Look at verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up for a certain period of time. Is that what your Bible says? How long? Okay. Um, so when it says, go back to John chapter 3. When it says that uh, whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life, it means what it says. And that perishing is everlasting perishing. And if you care about your spouse, if you care about your kids, if you care about your neighbor, if you care about your family, if you care about your coworkers, you know what you do? You'll tell them about a place that they can go to where they can escape all of that. And you'll tell them how to get there through Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter 3. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 16. I want Or verse 15. I want to highlight one last thing as we close out. And we'll pick it up next time. Verse 15, that whosoever, whosoever, look at verse 16. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who? Whosoever. Let me ask you this question. Does whosoever mean whosoever? Yeah, sure it does. But uh, I want to, I wanna, next week I'm going to show you that there are some people that believe whosoever is only a reference to certain chosen people. And I want to tell you that's not the case. Uh, the whosoever is extended to everybody. The problem is not everybody takes God up on his invitation. Amen. Let's go ahead and stop there. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the time and the word. Thank you, Lord, for the chance to get in and study your word. Thank you for the gospel of John. We love you, and thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather together. Lord, I want to thank you for getting a lot of people healthy again so they could just be here. And, uh, Lord, thank you for a beautiful day. The sun shining, Lord, the birds singing this morning. Uh, just a reminder that winter, death is not forever. Spring comes, Lord, the morning's coming. Someday you're coming back to get us off this planet. We can't wait. Lord, we love you. We ask for your blessing on this in the next hour to come. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll take a break right there.